with me to Galatians chapter 2, second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, as we continue to look at that tonight in our, I believe our fourth sermon in this uh, series, looking at this epistle. You know, the thing that Paul is concerned about here is that the gospel be kept pure. Uh, we, the title in the bulletin is uh, Only One Gospel. And uh, that's what Paul was concerned about. You know, the word gospel we talk about a lot of times, and we, we talk about it being what? What, do, what does gospel literally mean? Good news. Yeah, it means good news. Have you ever wondered why God didn't choose to use a word uh, that would be more like best news, you know, instead of just good news? I mean, we think of good news as just good news, but is there some best news out there? You know, the good news is good and good news is okay, but if there's best news, then, then why not talk about the best news? He didn't do that. Simply called it the good news. There's a reason. It's because best would indicate that there are other newses that might have some quality to them. And Paul is, or, or God is making clear, Jesus made clear, Paul is going to make clear, that there is no other news worthy of adhering to. There's no other news worthy of believing. The good news is the good news. It's the only news. It's the only gospel. And that's what Paul is really desiring to deal with in this book of Galatians. It's a battle that he fought tenaciously uh, with, with people who wanted to say, well, it is good news, but, you know, let's make it better news. Let's add something to it. Let's jazz it up a little, or, or let's, let's put some real ritual in it so we'll feel like we're doing something to earn it or doing something to get it. And Paul says that's not the good news. The good news is you don't have to do anything for it. The good news is you can't do anything for it. The good news is that God has done for you what you could not do for yourself. That's good news. And he always wanted that to be preserved. Some might have thought he was a little uh, OCD about it. He was always concerned that the gospel be presented clearly and fervently and without any adulteration. I'll never forget several years ago, not in Somerset, but in another locale, somebody said to me, and they meant this in the most critical way possible, I'm sure. They said, Bill, your problem is you're just too hung up on getting everything right. And you know what? I took it as a compliment. They didn't mean it as a compliment, but I really am. I am hung up on getting everything right when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Scripture. I'm hung up on saying, listen, I want to hear what God has said. I want to know what God has said, and I want to present what God has said and nothing else. If you ever start coming to the gospel, adding anything to it, your good works, your church attendance, you're not doing certain things like drinking certain beverages or smoking certain Weeds that grow, whatever. And if it's illegal, it would be sin, you understand? But what I'm saying is, if you're making that a part of the gospel, then you're polluting the gospel. 
doesn't have anything to do with what you do. It has to do with what God has done and has done in your life by grace and has changed you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, there may be things, there'll be things that happen. There'll be changes in your life and there are things you will not do. But you're not doing that in order to gain the gospel. The gospel is doing that in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's very, very important to understand. And if you're resting, I did have somebody in Somerset tell me this not long, since we've been at Grace, this wasn't at, a, this wasn't at other places. But somebody said to me, well, I know I'm saved because I've never had a drop of alcohol touch my lips. I said, then I guess Jesus wasn't saved. Or Paul wasn't saved. I mean, if you're resting on the fact that you've never had a, a drop of alcohol touch your lips, that that's made you right with God, I got bad news for you tonight. You're not right with God. You may have a great liver, but you're not right with God. You understand what I'm saying? This is very important, folks. This is what Paul is concerned about in talking to the Galatian Christians because they're trying to add something to the gospel. They're trying to add something to the gospel that makes it something other than by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone for the glory of God. They're trying to make it something else. They're trying to add to it. They're trying to add some rituals that will make them feel good about what they're doing. And pride enters in and they decide that they're good and so they're right with God because of their goodness. Let me tell you what your goodness is. I have this on good authority, the Word of God. Your goodness is filthy rags. Your righteousness is fit for the ash heap. It's only the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith that means anything as far as being right with God. You know, I want you to be praying because in, in two weeks from today, I won't be here. Todd won't be here. We'll be in the mountains of Peru. Uh, should be a real experience uh, in a lot of ways. The height will be a big experience for me. Todd's used to it. He's old hat. But, uh, but the real interesting experience will be we're going into a place where they do not understand the gospel. They've never heard, I don't think, the pure gospel. And so they have all sorts of other religions and all sorts of other ideas. Some of it with some mixture of Christianity. They just don't have it right. It's, it's ritualistic. And we're going to go there to start getting a vision for reaching those people. Uh, as Mike Pope said, when they got back from the first meeting on learning about this, he said, and he said this excitingly, and I told you this, I think, in, the, in congregational meeting the other week. You know, he said, this is going to be like the Apostle Paul. So we've got to be sure we've got the gospel right when we take it in there. Because we'll be held accountable for what those people believe about the gospel by what we teach them and what we share with them. It's got to be a biblical gospel. That's what Paul is concerned about. In chapter 2, I want you to hear these first 10 verses and hear them clearly. Paul is still somewhat dealing with just some historical events. But he's making points of those historical events, events that are going to be important for the development of his message a little later in this book. Verse 1, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem uh, with Barnabas and taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went, went up. 
And I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty. Notice that word liberty. That's important. Which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to, had been to the circumcised, for he would effectually... He who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, that is Peter and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also, I also was eager to do. May God teach us through his mighty word. There, there are really three sections here that, that Paul kind of deals with as he introduces this. He says that he went back up after 14 years. Now, there's some discussion over whether this was 14 years from his last visit which he talked about in the first chapter, where he just went up briefly and then left before he went out into to the desert to, to commune with the Lord and be taught from the Lord, whether it's 14 years from that visit or 14 years from his conversion. But whichever, he's saying that there was a, a, a significant period of time that passed by before he went back up. And he went back up after he had been preaching the gospel and after he had been uh, clearly declaring the gospel. And churches had been planted. People had been saved. A lot of things were going on in his life. And he said it was because of a revelation. Christ was leading him. Christ was telling him to go up to Jerusalem. And basically what he did, he said, I went up there and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. Cephas, Peter, and John, and James, they were, they were there in the room. And, and he went in privately with them and he said, okay, guys, let me just lay this out before you. This is what I've been preaching I have been preaching that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. It is by God's grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that that is the gospel message. And that is how people are saved, by grace, through faith, in Christ. I'm sure he laid it out a little more fully than that, but he submitted it to them. They heard it, and they were men of reputation. They were known throughout the church. These were apostles who had been there the whole time. And Paul said, I did this for one reason. I wanted to be sure that I wasn't running or had run in vain. I wanted to be sure that I hadn't been preaching something that was maybe just a little off course. I wasn't there as a disciple with Jesus when he taught Peter and James and John. I wasn't there 
seeing the miracles firsthand and hearing him expound on the parables after he had told them the masses and the masses didn't understand it, pulling them aside and saying, but this is what the parable means. I wasn't there for all that. And I wanted to be sure that what I was preaching, what I had heard from Christ, was the same thing that these men had heard from Christ. And he said, you know what? It was. We were declaring the same message. We were declaring the same truth. Now, the Galatians are being vexed by a group called the Judaizers. They're saying, as I've already alluded to and spoken about, they were saying that, yes, Christ is important, Jesus is the Messiah, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you've also got to submit yourself to rituals, the most serious ritual, most significant ritual being circumcision. That is the entrance way into the Jewish faith. So when, when Paul goes up there, he carries with him not only Barnabas, who is a Jew, uh, as Paul himself was, but he also carried Titus, who was a Gentile, a Greek. Now, I want you to understand something. This is pretty provocative stuff. Paul is going and taking a, a Gentile into the very heart of the Jerusalem church. Uh, he's taken it into a place that really still had quite a bit of prejudice about the Gentiles and they really did were happy I think that uh, Peter had had the vision of Cornelius and had gone there and seen Gentiles saved seen them baptized in the Holy Spirit seen everything happen in their lives that had happened in the Jewish believers lives but they still were just a little bit unsure just like they were about Paul when he was converted and Barnabas was one of the few that that said I'll go with him and I'll take care of him and I'll be his friend and, and get to know him and introduce him to the church. But he, he took Titus. And the thing you would expect is, is that Peter and James and John, if, if they didn't really have a grasp on grace, as Paul was certain they did, would have said, now wait a minute, you've got this Greek boy in here, and he's never been circumcised, and if he's going to be a part of the church, he's got to be circumcised. They did not do that. That is very, very significant. That he said, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. That's important to understand that about this companion of Paul. Because the Judaizers are saying to be a real part of the church, you've got to be circumcised along with baptized. You've got to be circumcised along with faith in Christ. You cannot do one and not have the other. Paul said there's... There's these false brethren who keep secretly coming in. They sneak in and they spy, and they're trying to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. You know, folks, it's an amazing thing, that the liberty we have in Christ. Paul uh, talks about it here. I, I entitled the whole series, Freedom in Christ, could have been Liberty in Christ, to realize that we have been set free for freedom's sake. We're no longer to be enslaved to rituals, no longer to be enslaved to, to the law. And, and yet today in many of our churches, people are still trying to somehow find a righteousness of their own found in the law. They're still trying to say, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. And, and so that makes me right with God. Paul is saying, listen, we've got liberty in Christ. We've got freedom in Christ. I, I like the, the Martin Luther uh, statement that just you know, says, love God with all your heart and do as you please. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. 
Because if you're loving God with all your heart, if that's really the focus, God will direct your path to do what is right. And when you do what you please, when you're loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, then it changes the things you do and the way you do them. But it's not out of a legalism. It's not out of an attempt to be made righteous because of your activity, but it's out of the truth of Jesus Christ who sets us free, who gave us liberty. I, uh, I wonder sometimes as I look at Christians and I see them so caught up with, with things that have to be done. You know, we, we, have our, we look at other tr- churches and we say, oh, they're, they're so traditional. You know, they have so many traditions as, as though we don't, you know. Uh, we have our traditions. We have them just as bad. I won't get into them right now. I will later in this series probably. But things that the Scripture doesn't command, nor does it forbid. And yet we've always done it that way. And so we think, well, to be a real Christian, to be a real church, you've got to do all those things. You've got to have all those things. You know, I... I I'm not advocating this, but I'll just tell you, you know, some of you would think if we did away with Sunday school, that would just be the end of the world because that's just what the Bible says do. But Sunday school came about in the early 20th century in America. I mean, it's, it's really a fairly, and I'm all for Sunday school, don't get me wrong. If it's a discipleship place where we study the word and, and grow in discipleship, I'm all for it. But if it's just so we say, we have Sunday school and check it off, then that's just as bad as circumcision. Just as bad as circumcision. Now, I happen to believe we're doing it for the right reason. And that's why we have it. We don't have it just because we need, we're supposed to have it. We have it because there's a purpose behind it. And you've got, you've got Brother Scott who's working constantly to, to build in a, a, a content for Sunday school unlike anything you've ever seen in a Sunday school. I mean, he's diligently working to provide you with studies that will change not only this church, but it will change your life. And so we don't take that lightly. But if we just said, well, we've got to have that because we've always had that, where the Scripture doesn't tell us we've always we've got to have that, then we become just as bad as the Judaizers in some cases. And there are others, but we'll talk about those later. Paul's response to the false brethren here was of huge importance because if he had yielded, if he had yielded in saying that Gentiles, such as the Galatians, would not have been brought to the true gospel. If he'd yielded and said, okay, yeah, let's just quit causing such a problem here. These people are really upset about this. Let's just give in and let's do circumcision and we'll be done with it. Then the Galatians would have heard a false gospel. They would have heard a watered-down gospel. They would have heard a gospel that had been added to. So this is huge, the Apostle Paul taking this kind of stand. In verses 6 on, he, he just continues to talk about his gospel, what he preached. He said, for those who are of high reputation, I love the way he says this, those who are of high reputation, talking to Peter, James, and John, you know, they're, they're the pillars, they're the high reputation, but it said, What they were makes no difference to me, for God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. In other words, they didn't correct me. They didn't say, Paul, you're off course here. Paul, you need to add this. Paul, you need to take this away. He said, they substantiated my gospel. They substantiated the message that I was preaching. And he rejoiced in that. And, And 
verse 7, he said, On the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, and then this parenthetical note in verse 8, For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Do you see what Paul is saying there? God worked in my life and gave me the gospel. God worked in Peter's life and gave him the gospel. And then the one who did that work said, Peter, you go to the Jews. Although he used him a little bit with Gentiles, didn't he? In Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius' household. Peter, you go primarily to the Jews. Paul, you go primarily to the Gentiles. But understand this. It's not a... And this is what was significant here with this meeting. There were not two churches. It was not... Peter the Gentile church and uh, Peter the Jewish church and Paul the Gentile church. No, not at all. But it was Peter and Paul to the church. The separation wall has been torn down. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. He said, the dividing wall has been abolished. It's torn down. Yes, I've got a ministry to to the Gentiles. Peter's got a ministry to the Jews. But we're all ministering. We're both ministering to the body of Christ. There was a division, if you will, of labor. There was a division of responsibility. But there was no division in the gospel. There was no division in the church. And and that's why the Jewish church was not more important than the Gentile church. And Peter was not any more important than Paul. The Gentile church was not superior or inferior to the Jewish church. And Paul was not inferior or superior to Peter. In his ministry. They had the same ministry, the same God working effectually to bring about the final results. I love the way Paul puts it over in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over there with me just a second. I wasn't going to do this, but we got a minute here. We can do it. Ephesians chapter 2. The key verses, verse 21, but back up to verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Talking to the Ephesian Christians here. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And here's the key verse. In whom the whole building, that is in Christ the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what God was about in bringing about the church. And that's what God is about today. And it's important, though, that that gospel message be preserved, that it be protected, that it never be compromised. It breaks my heart to, uh, to flip channels on TV to religious stations. I just got to be honest with you. It breaks my heart. And, and it breaks my heart to see that it's not just some far-out groups that are on there preaching nothing but moralism. Be good. Try hard. Have good self-esteem. Feel good about yourself. You know, I mean, there's... There's so little gospel going out on, quote, Christian TV that it just breaks my heart. And that's a tremendous tool, folks, for the gospel. 
That is a tremendous tool for the truth of the gospel, but it's being used for a perversion that's just as bad as the perversion of the Gentiles, of the Galatians, the Judaizers that took place there among the Gentile Christians at Galatia. We must be just a little OCD about the gospel. We must come to a commitment both as Grace Baptist Church and as Southern Baptists and and Christians in general to say, listen, it's the gospel that matters. And, And if the gospel is given up, everything else will fall apart. You know, people are... People are really upset about some of the things that's going on in the Episcopal Church today. You know, they're declaring it's all right to uh, ordain homosexuals as bishops and, and priests and all this kind of thing. And, and, and boy, we're all upset. But why weren't we upset 30 years ago when they abandoned the gospel? When they started saying, well, you know, it's not by Christ alone. There are other ways to God. I mean, you know, we just kind of thought, well, that's just those crazy Episcopals then. They were distorting the gospel. And where they are today is just a natural outworking of what happened 30 years ago. And if we don't stand firm on the gospel, if we don't stand right on, dead center, on the target of the gospel, hitting the bullseye, we'll be right where they are. Maybe not even 30 years from now. Because culture is such the enemy now. And boy, we can get all riled up over homosexuality or we can get all riled up over abortion. And I hate abortion. But let me tell you something, folks. We better get all riled up over the distortion of the gospel because that's what really matters. Well, as we look at this, and, and Paul clearly saying, listen, it's by Christ alone. It's only one gospel. It's only one good news. And he said, listen, in recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, he's almost sarcastic with this, folks. Their reputation, I don't care who they are. God shows no partiality. You know, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They affirmed their ministry. And they said, go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. They only ask one thing. This is the only, only thing they ask that Paul and Barnabas would have to do with the Jewish Christians. Remember the poor. Jerusalem was going through a famine. Jerusalem was going through a horrible time and people were starving to death, literally. The only thing Peter and John and James asked was, just remember the poor. And Peter said, hey, That's the very thing I was eager to do. And you know, we have evidence in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that Paul never forgot the poor in Jerusalem. He did take offerings for them and sent them back. He he, he carried gifts back to them, sent gifts back to them. And so Paul fulfilled that which the apostles in Jerusalem asked him to do. But there are two principles that flow out of these ten verses that I want you to remember. If you don't hear anything else, remember these. Two principles that are of utmost importance, and they emerge out of this section very clearly. Number one, the truth of the gospel is one and is unchanging. The truth that the gospel is one. There is one gospel and one gospel alone, and it is absolutely unchanging. Peter preached, Paul preached the same thing. 
They taught the gospel. And for a church to be a gospel-bearing church, it must stand firm on that one gospel and declare that it never changes. And then the second thing is what I've already hit on, but it's very, very important. The truth of the gospel must be maintained. We can't compromise even one little iota. You know, I really am hung up on getting the gospel right. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, based on the fact that God created the world and we rebelled against him and fell into sin, and he sent his son into this world as an act of grace to save his people from their sins. And he died on that cross as a propitiatory sacrifice. He died on that cross as a substitute. And he hung there in our place and bore our sin if we belong to him. He was laid in a grave and he laid there for three days. And three days later he came forth from that grave alive. Not in some spiritualized experience, but he came forth bodily resurrected to newness of life. And now has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits in glory and reigns as King of Kings. That's the gospel. And we cannot, we, we cannot compromise that one iota. We must maintain the gospel if we're going to be a gospel church. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful again, O oh Lord, for your truth. And we're grateful, Lord, for the freedom that we have in Christ. We're thankful for the one gospel, the only one gospel. Everything else is no gospel at all. Everything else is a lie. Father, help us to stand firm on your gospel. As a church as individual Christians. And Father, help us as we take, as as we go to Peru, help us, Lord, to be certain that we take the gospel. Lord, if we go there just to teach them moral values, we'll just make them nicer people bound for hell. If we take them the gospel, the unadulterated, the pure gospel, That is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, you you would be gracious to give us souls. Those who will come to faith. And we will praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.